Hello and welcome to Pathways, where you are invited to join me for a visit with leaders in personal development and cultural evolution. This is your host, Paul O'Brien. No decade in modern history has generated more controversy and divisiveness than the tumultuous 1960s. For some, the 60s was an era of free love, drugs, rock and roll, and social revolution. For others, the 60s were an ungodly rejection of all that was good and holy. Embarking on a profound search for the spiritual meaning behind the massive social upheavals of the 1960s, today's author turns a kaleidoscopic lens on religious and esoteric history, industry, science, philosophy, art, and social revolution to identify the meaning behind all these diverse movements. And this is a, a subject that's dear to my heart because I lived it. I grew up in San Francisco in the 60s and came of age uh, during that decade. So this is a fascinating and wonderful opportunity for me as a host. Our guest is Tobias Churton, author of The Spiritual Meaning of the 60s, The Magic, Myth, and Music of the Decade that Changed the World. Tobias is a world-renowned authority on Gnosticism, Hermeticism, Freemasonry, Rosicrucianism, and Aleister Crowley. Appointed Honorary Fellow of Exeter University in 2005, he holds a master's degree in theology from Brasenose College, Oxford, and is the author of many books, including Aleister Crowley in America and Occult Paris. He is coming to us from the heart of England. Hello, Tobias, and welcome to The Pathway Show. Delighted to be here, Paul. Wonderful. Okay, what made you write, want to write a book about the spiritual meaning of the 60s? There's so many angles a person could take. But of course, I know everything you do has got a spiritual flavor to it. But uh, in particular, what inspired you to do this? I, th I think it, because there's a bomb in my soul that uh, <laughs> exploded when I was a boy in the 60s. There was something, um, I, as, even though I was, I, I was born in 1960, so I, I was really in my first 10 years, but my consciousness... Uh, all ha everything that that is dear to me, everything that happened, that I think shaped my fundamental spiritual viewpoint, uh, really happened in the sixties. Um, ridiculous! I was kind of like a, sort of a, a naked saltpeter waiting for the flame, and the sixties had the flame, and uh, it enlivened my soul. I think it 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 uh, it, it to me it was my like meeting like. I I, mm -hmm. I was hugely excited within the the, the confines of being a boy, uh, you know, and and it made it made me feel different. And ever after, come the seventies, eighties, and so on, that was my lodestone. I was looking back That's to cool. it, uh, not not so much in terms of the way people might think, you know. Oh, I listened to rock music. I never heard it, hardly any uh, pop music in the. Uh, thing deliberately i i sat and listened to it it was of course the wallpaper it was the atmosphere I, I grew up in there was something in the air and that's why the book is called the spiritual meaning of the 60s it, it there was a spirit a spiritual dimension uh that was intensified in that t t strange 10 years compression of aspiration and idealism um that 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 went through my soul like a wind through through a field a field of ripe corn now how how much would you say the world has really changed because of the 1960s it's given us perspective 
we can now isolate and see, and often it's a tragic vision because we could, uh, you know, uh, with much knowledge cometh great sorrow. It becomes much more obvious to us, I think, uh, who are the positive people in the in our world and who are the people uh, destroying and uh, uh, denigrating the world. It's heightened the consciousness of uh, our attitude to nature, certainly, our attitude to ourselves, our attitude to wealth, our attitude to uh, freedom, above all, I think, uh, the sense of individual freedom. And it has, it has given us a, a, an ideal vision that even appeals to generations later. My, my daughter's now 23, but she was born in 2000. Why is it she wants to listen to The Doors, uh, Pink Floyd, Jimi Hendrix, John Lennon, and all, all of these wonderful um, artists and so on. Why is that? It's no, it's not immediate to her environment, but she's picking up on on something. It has to be a spiritual thing. Uh -huh. So you know, yeah. I was just going to say, I saw the Doors at the Fillmore West once, and uh, Jim that. Morrison, Jim Morrison got arrested for taking off his clothes. And I was also at Altamont, which is another thing that you mentioned in the book. Um, so it was a pretty crazy, crazy period. And a lot of critics uh, uh, look at the 60s and declare it as, a, as an era of moral decline. But I love the way that you really highlight uh, what was positive about it, at least as best as, as you can remember. Because what, what's the old expression? It's like, if you remember the 60s, you weren't there. <laughs> but, yeah. So that brings up the subject of drugs, which was you know, became popularized in the 60s, like pot, you know, what would you say was the relationship of marijuana to the creative explosion in the 60s? Well, well I think, I mean, obviously, people had been experimenting with what used to be called hemp since at least the 18th century. Charles Darwin's <laughs> grandfather, um, uh, um, I'm trying to think, uh, what was it, Erasmus Darwin, I, I found letters in the 18th century time of George Washington saying he ordered some hemp, hemp in. Uh, it used to come in from India. Pe people have been using um, the psychotropic sub substances for uh, liberation of their minds for a long, long time. I, I think the the relationship of drugs was obviously what they used to call in magic the 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 liberation of the bonds of the soul. It was to provide a moment's ecstasy when one would feel uh, in, in detached from conventional. Uh, consciousness and ways of thinking. Now, that can take you into several different directions. And if the immature uh, are introduced to these experiences, it, it, it can be harmful. Of course it can, as so many things can be, including travel, driving, and, uh, and, and uh, relationships can be harmful. Uh, but there is also a, there was a positive side to this. I think the trouble was with the 60s was the uh, self-abnegation, which is the first condition of mystical enlightenment, became self-enjoyment. And the self-enjoyment right. aspect took over, especially in the 70s. And you got a kind of pleasure, pleasure me generation in, in right. broad terms. The whole thing was to get your own, get your pleasure. Uh, uh, that, that obviously isn't the way to the stars. Uh, that's the way back down to earth. Now, why, what did the psychedelic revolution contribute? to spirituality in that era? Because I'm going to quote your book here. You say, LSD literally blew the lid off and we never looked back. 
the collective unconscious was rocketed into the fifth dimension overnight. I took LSD so many times in the early 70s. I have some ideas, but I'm just wondering, what, what did it contribute to spirituality, which is the subject of your book? I, th I think it gave it, uh, I gave it a, an experiential vividness which only had been write, written about and idealized beforehand. I think, I think the higher uh, psychedelic experiences that some people enjoyed uh, and, uh, and struggled through could only be explained properly within a spiritual perspective. Psychedelic experience doesn't make any sense in, in the normal worldview. First of all, the trouble is none of us can re actually remember what it is we experience because it doesn't relate to it uh, the nature of, of, of a, an intense uh psychedelic which means a soul expanding experience doesn't relate to language hardly at all you can say it was good you can say it was bad you can say it was enlightening you can say it was extraordinary but you can't capture it in words the word wor our, our ordinary language isn't equipped to deal with this thing and the only context, I think, in which psychedelic experience makes any sense at all is if we talk about it, talk in the language of mysticism. Now, that's quite different to other people. I've met people of a very limited intelligence who have taken psychedelics and their experience tends to be hallucinate, hallucinatory. In other words, they are simply their minds are taken over and they experience sort of dream states and see things that aren't there or are amazed by lights and one hopes they don't start to get paranoid. Um, but to thinking, right. to thinking, to thinking people, it gave us an objective correlative, an absolute ide idea, which we could at least retain the idea, if not the, the substance itself, of what a higher consciousness might perceive. For example, you might become considerably more aware of the fragility of the Earth's atmosphere, something we're not normally aware of. We drive along, we drive cars, blah, 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 blah. we don't actually, we don't conceive of the reality of, 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 of life on planet Earth and how we're affecting it and how it's affecting us. So it was a, a massive increase in sensitivity uh, for many people. For other people, uh, perhaps soldiers in Vietnam, it was simply a release from a, di a dimension of material terror. As you quote in the, uh, another quote from your book, you say, the movement away from established religion toward the personal quest is undoubtedly a key aspect of the spiritual meaning of the 60s. And it occurs to me that psychedelics played a huge role in at least opening the mind to uh, uh, wider dimensions. Uh, like you said, a mystical revival of sorts. Yes. And, and you, you, we can debate whether uh, mysticism is, is best promoted by psychedelics. I, I would say, arguably, uh, that is not the best path uh, to reach uh, heaven on earth by, by any means. But uh, it at least gave in a highly materialistic uh, Western culture, which was becoming hyper-corporative and hyper-industrialized, uh, it was kind of hard it's kind of a hard method to, to break on through to the other side, as Jim Morrison would say. Um, but of course, as I say, it had its dangers and there were people who fell by the wayside. And I certainly wouldn't advocate that uh, that path, it, it, especially if if, uh, if, un, if not conducted with some sort of responsibility. And I always thought I always thought that the hazard of taking LSD, which was such a powerful drug, I mean, it's unbelievably potent. I, I always thought 
that the people that would be most inclined to having a bad trip, as they called it, was would be the people who just can't let go of being in control, the people who are egoistic or narcissistic or just so dependent upon their facade that when that, you know, and if it's LSD, you know, it's like your ego dissolves whether you like it or not. And so do you agree with that? Do you think that is a, a good uh, um, distinction? Yeah, I, I, very much so. Uh, the trouble is that what, as you were speaking, I, I was thinking 30 different ideas which were coming in uh, simultaneously. <laughs> Certainly, I, 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 I concur, concur with, with what you said. Um, I'm trying to think of something. I, I was thinking, I remember Grace Slick um, at one point was arrested or no, kicked out of the White House, I think, for attempting to put some LSD in Nixon's drink. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, but I, I think that I think she would have been disappointed by the results because I think <laughs> somebody, somebody with the character armor and generally, uh, you know, right, the mentality right. of Nixon would simply have felt a bit queasy and would have had to go and lie down a bit. Uh, and he, he wouldn't have got anything from it, uh, I don't think. Uh, particularly, right. I certainly wouldn't have found enlightenment uh, no. because, as you say, he was too gripped by the the ego uh, mania and and the. The, the the monster of, 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 of what we call the real world uh, which bound him in a relation of in, in a in a tempest of power relations and he right. saw everything in terms of power uh, as you say the, the the thing about LSD and good psychedelics is that they they give us a, a viewpoint on how egocentric our viewpoint is and therefore how narrow it can be right um, of course now, you yeah, sorry. No, it's okay. I, I, I was just going to say, this sort of brings up to my mind the Beatles, who in their own way popularized uh, psychedelics uh, by taking them and letting the world know that they took them. Uh, and you have a lot of uh, things to say about the Beatles in the book and how representative they are of the spirit of the 60s. Uh, so tell us, so what, did you, what do you think they brought to the decade? And did they make it something it wouldn't have been if they had never been seen or heard. How can you underestimate the impact of the Beatles? It's impossible. Right. It right. is almost impossible to overestimate the impact of the Beatles. It goes on and on and on. Um, they were, I, I hate to sort of join in with Timothy Leary, uh, who you know, saw them as avatars from another world who were bringing uh, a, a new conception of the merry life of freedom. Um, but they certainly were the philosophers. They were the something that was went into the mix. Um, I think they moved into the Star Club in Hamburg, or one of the clubs in Hamburg. No, it wasn't the Star. It was another one, Indra Club. Just just about the day I was born, I was rather pl pleased that my birth coincided <laughs> not only with the uh, launch of the fastest man alive at the time. Uh, I, uh, I forget the name of the American astronaut, but also the time the Beatles ended up in a strip club in Hamburg because this strange, there's a sort of strange thing between what what NASA was or the or, um, Aeronautical Association of America was trying to do at that time and what the Beatles doing are, are curiously related. There is something in this whole thing about stellar travel and the power of rock and roll to change a generation. Uh, the Beatles brought the power of 50s rock and roll, re repackaged it to some extent, 
gave it an enormous personality of their own and shoved it, thank God, uh, in, into the into the veins of the Western world. Uh, if you can imagine America in 60, early 64, when they arrive, America is still mourning President Kennedy. They arrive right. on a winter's day in, in, in uh, late winter of 64, and they bring love. They bring, I want to hold your hand. They bring, she loves you. It, it was such a, a tonic, uh, such an in, immense tonic, but totally unexpected, totally right. original. I love what you Completely different than what expected. <laughs> yeah, I love the way that you put it. They were exporting courage, energy, brilliance, and love. Yeah, and you and I you mean, also point what, out what do you want. And you, yeah, <laughs> and uh, you also point out, you know, they're all you need is love was the very famous song, and that they reached out to people of all ages, whatever they looked like, and that was they were so humble in that way. It was beautiful the way that you explicate that in this book. And what they do you think, John? Sorry. I was going to say, what do you think John was trying to say when he declared that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus? I think that's so widely misunderstood. Yeah, well, of course it was. it was. It was never intended for the ordinary public consumption. It was an interview with Maureen Cleave, who was a sort of fairly intellectual columnist in the Evening Standard, which is a fairly middle-class newspaper available in London. Uh, she'd visited him at his house, and he just said it in passing to her as an honest view that he lamented the spiritual vacuity of the Western world at the time, probably quite close to the Pope in his attitude right. there. Right, Oddly, right. the Pope attacked him uh, because, in fact, John was sort of saying, well, we're, you know, this is a world where the Beatles have more compelling power over young people's minds than Jesus Christ. And he, he he didn't go much further than to, to put that fact over. But what he was saying was, is that a good thing? Isn't it a good thing? Um, why, why are, he's, he's, he's questing in his mind, why are we so popular? Why is this happening? You know, right, how has right. he reached this? And mm -hmm. for, when you look at what he was reading at the time and his, his intellectual development, uh, he was questioning what direction the Western world was taking in that period. And of course, right. you see, you now see that this was a prelude to uh, the openness to uh, Hinduism and, and uh, Oriental philosophies that became such a feature of their later work and which was incredibly creative. And again, has created the whole thing about world music and Westerners being open to things other than um, you know, a song and dance stuff. And yeah, like like meditation. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. Well, it's incredible. I mean, so many phrases that people use today of coming out of that. You know, it's good karma. It's not good karma. A lot. You know, there's been a kind of pop absorption of certain aspects. Uh, the, the interest in reincarnation, which is extraordinarily uh, um, uh, uh, prevalent these days. People's openness to long um, covered uh, Western spiritual traditions. You mentioned astrology earlier on, but there are so many more. Uh, the Beatles were kind of uh, uh, vanguard for a change of awareness. And, and what, would uh, you, what would you say is the spiritual meaning of the sexual revolution, another hallmark of the 60s? Well, again, it's, it's this thing about freedom, isn't it? It's about saying, 
you know, who, who does sex belong to? Is it something we can discuss? Is it is something that we should be afraid of? Is it something uh, that is a, 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 a denigration of the human being? So much of the inherited Protestant and Catholic tradition that people were taught from school age was that sex was really something, oh, it's a bit like kryptonite. You know, it, 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 it's got a power which fascinates, but it's, it could be your downfall, which is, I mean, there's a lot of truth in all of, of this. Um, but it, it was presented in such a way as to basically keep people off it. Whereas, in fact, what we're talking about when we talk about sex is people's deepest identity and how important right. that is to them. And we look at the 50s and the previous generations um, all of this sexual thing was channeled into certain kinds of behavior which were acceptable. I, th right. I think that I think the meaning of the 60s spiritual meaning in some ways, uh, one aspect of it is that conventional religion was not enough for free individuals. That free individuals must look beyond uh, conventional religious teaching, albeit uh, Protestant, Catholic or whatever. And that is what I think that was the true threat of the era and which led to so much reaction. When you join issues of sex with issues of religion, uh, your, your conventional mind gets extraordinarily hot under the collar. And the reaction, <laughs> the reaction to that goes on to this day. And we now see it worldwide uh, in Russia and Iran and, and the Far East and, and, in, and in American and British culture. There's this terrible reaction that all these things really should be put back in the box. Right. Uh, but they cannot be put back in the box. And the repression, we must believe, I think, will, will ultimately fail because uh, human beings simply want to get... There's more to the human being than uh, appearing as the good old-time hero of the 50s. John Wayne is not enough of a hero for the, the, tr the totality of humanity. Uh, heroism is a wonderful thing and it's great to be smart Alec and all the rest of it but the the 60s suggested there was more to be discovered and that our progress as a species depended and depends on exploring that more and not allowing people to stop us uh, and we are now up against corporate forces of oppression uh, right. which make us question who really is running this world? You know, one of the things that you point out that I thought was so sweet and so on the on the mark was that the '60s and their in the attitude that uh, the new attitude towards sexuality was to say, in effect, that sex was innocent. And this kind of reminds me of the character of the Beatles too. They just seemed innocent. They just seemed, you know, so real and so you know, down to earth, in, which is incredible considering their popularity. Um, they weren't you know, a manufactured group. They were, they, were, they were a group of free individuals that Brian Epstein tried to control. Uh, and, but also, luckily, Brian Epstein, their first, their first great manager, had the, the insight to see that he didn't want to control them and shape them. He just wanted them to avoid the pitfalls of what might, might befall. And Obviously, the, the, the loss of Brian Epstein was a terrible blow for the Beatles because he was he was a godfather. Right. You know, Not you also 
you cover everything that the 60s touched on, including music and cinema. Uh, and then there's also the wom- woman's, women's movement. And you make, and I'm going to quote, you write, in the 60s, femininity was treated affirmatively with values of caring and loving and openness. And wow, that is that is so sweet. Um, do you have uh, uh, anything to add to that? Well, I think it was the rediscovery of the suppressed goddess. Yeah. Uh, You know, instead of woman being, you know, the gateway to hell, there was a a guy called, uh, what was it, Billy Sunday, um, back in the sort of First World War period, was a hugely successful evangelical preacher in America who filled tents with people wanting to be born again and so forth. And, uh, you know, he would say to the women at the thing, close your legs. Ah, and when they close their legs in the in the in the rows of these evangelical revivalist tents, you say, now the gates of hell are closed. <laughs> oh God, man. Yeah. Well, you know that, that was that was the diet that a millions of Americans were absorbing. That a uh, that a, a woman's uh, sexuality were, was uh, some kind of. Uh, uh, potential evil or actual evil in which it would enslave men and so forth. So the the change of the 60s is called the sexual revolution, meaning there was sort of more sex and you could talk about it's much more fundamental. But basically, this female revolution thing is 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 an ongoing uh, an ongoing thing. And it wasn't settled in the 60s, but it was certainly launched. I make a big point in the book about talking about the French director Jean-Luc Godard, because I think his greatest contribution in his movies, apart from all the stylistic stuff film critics get excited about, I think it was the fact he was very, very interested about the image of woman in society and how cinema represented women. Because, yeah. of course, one aspect of the 60s was clearly exploitative in in, in modern terms. You know, uh, women had to be dolly birds or pretty or, you, you know, centrefold kind of thing. Um, you also got a burn, a, 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 an awareness that actually there's a hell of a lot more to woman than meets the eye. And right. we're, we're not really understanding what a power woman is. Right. Hey, Tobias, I want to thank you. Uh, there is so much more we could explore. I mean, it's an incredible book. It's so chock full of beautiful information, but not only that, I mean, you're an incredible writer. I, I learned my vocabulary has expanded as a result of reading your book. I appreciate that. Uh, but we have run out of time and I want to make sure to tell our listeners about your website, which is www.tobiaschurton.com. Tobias, T-O-B-I-A-S, Churton, C-H-U-R-T-O-N, all one word, dot com. So thank you again for being on the show. I I really appreciate it. And um, for those who might have tuned in late today, uh, this is your host, Paul O'Brien, author of Intuitive Intelligence, a book that shares the theme of Pathways, which is personal and cultural evolution. Now, don't worry. You can play and or share this interview whenever you want via the Internet or as a free podcast. And I'll tell you how in a minute. Today, we've been visiting with Tobias Churton, author of The Spiritual Meaning of the 60s, The Magic, Myth, and Music of the Decade That Changed the World. And this is much more than a history book. Uh, This is a a very uh, fascinating, philosophical, in-depth exploration of one of the 
in most incredible decades that uh, we've had in uh, we had in the 20th century. I want to say thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into Pathways, which is broadcast and streamed on the internet at www.kboo.fm every Sunday morning at 8:30 USA Pacific Time. And even better, podcasts of today's show, which you can listen to and forward to others, are available for free at divination.com. That's spelled D-I-V-I nation.com, as well as via iTunes, Paulo's YouTube channel, and other free podcast servers. This is Paul O'Brien reminding you to tell your friends about Pathways Radio and Podcasts. And thanks again to Tobias Churton and to all of you listeners for tuning in and being a part of the Pathways Conversation.